All right, we're in, we're in a series on John 17, and uh, we've, been going through, we've been going through the book of John. I'm sorry, we're in a series on John, and we're in John 17 right now. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that can be very tempting when I, I'm, I'm paid to study the Bible, right? And one of the things that, that can be a real temptation that's something you have to guard against that I fight all the time is that the Bible becomes, it's almost like if you have a Bible, you, know, you go to a Christian school, a Bi- your Bible becomes like a textbook instead of the Word of God. And what can happen is you, you can get very organized. I read a passage, I start looking automatically. I just, I, I look for, okay, what could be the breaks here? What could be the major points here? What could be, and, and it can get very organized and very clinical and almost unemotional. And that's a danger when, when studying is your job. That can be a real danger. And I, I fight that all the time. I, I don't, I'm not always successful, but I fight that all the time. And as we were, we've been looking at John 13 through 17 here, especially that, that passage, we're seeing Jesus at his most vulnerable. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. And he's open, and he's honest, and he's vulnerable, and, and it's, it's incredible to watch. And then we get to John 17, and Jesus prays. And it's the longest prayer by Jesus recorded in the Bible. And it is open and honest and vulnerable. And it just hit me as, as, in studying this. This is an incredible thing. We're thinking, think about this passage. We're hearing Jesus pray. It's, it's, like, it's like he's pulling aside the veil. He's not teaching them about prayer per se. He's praying. He's laying himself open before his father. We get to see the intimate side of this father-son relationship in this prayer. You know, it's like when you get to know someone, you can say you know someone, but you don't really know them until they decide to let you in, until they decide to reveal themselves to you, until they start to disclose things to you, the things they like, the things they don't like their worries, their fears, their joys, their sorrows. So much of our lives, we spend being on guard and not revealing anything to people. So when someone reveals themselves, that's when you really begin to know them. When they tell you what they're thinking, when they tell you what they're hoping, the unfiltered heart of a person. And right here, we're seeing this with Jesus and God. There's this inner dialogue that now is vocalized for us. We're hearing what Jesus is hoping. We're hearing what he's thinking. It's important for us to realize this, this, I just can't hammer this enough, for us to put ourselves into the situation. Jesus is about to die. And he knows it. And he knows it. So what is he thinking about? I've been around people who are about to die. And one of the interesting things is, what is on their mind when they know they're gonna die? Always, those who are closest to them. Those who are closest to them, those they love. That's who's on their mind. And so here, who's on Jesus' mind? You are. We are. What is on Jesus' mind in this prayer? Us. Us. And you'll, you see, we're going to look at this. You, it's shot through the whole prayer. He's thinking about us. He's worried about us. He's praying for us. And so I wanted to step back from 
just kind of clinically analyzing, in a sense. And I want us to just think about this concept of prayer. What's going on here? And I titled it, Praying to a Holy Father. And it's verses 11 through 26. It's a long passage. So let me read it for you, okay? And uh, you can just follow. If you've got your Bible, you can follow along. John 17, 11 to 26 on your phones, or just listen. And listen for Jesus just revealing his heart. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction in that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are one in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So here we have this prayer, and we kind of picked up in the middle, and, uh, and next week we're going to go and kind of take it apart a little bit more about the church and what's, what does the church do and what does it mean for the church. But here, first thing I want you to see, we're praying to a God is holy. Jesus uses a phrase in, in uh, verse 11. I think oh, I, I do have it here. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as you are one. And this is an unusual name. Jesus doesn't use this all, a lot, this idea of holy father. The Greek word for holy is just, it's just this, this name, this uh, word. When it talks about people, it means being set apart. It means being consecrated or dedicated for some sort of use. When it talks about God, it means perfect. It has this idea of glorious and beautiful. It means in a different category altogether right? Just completely different. Perfect, complete, in wisdom, in justice, in love, and on and on and on. Now, when you start to think of it this way, this can be a little bit intimidating. Actually, it can be a lot intimidating because we're sinful and we're flawed, and it's overwhelming to be in the presence of perfection. One theologian was trying to describe this, and he called it numinous awe something that is attractive and deeply terrifying at the same time. Wanting to be near God, and yet at the same time, having this sudden kind of almost a fear 
And why would he describe it this way? Because a true encounter with the absolute, anything absolute, makes you feel anything but absolute, right? An encounter with something like that. It illuminates your shortcomings. Seeing the infinite makes you aware of how small and finite you are. Before I was a Christian, the first person in our family, our family was not a Christian family, the first person in our family was my brother Steve, and he came to Christ in, in college, and he came home, and he, he witnessed to me. And, uh, I, and, you know, I was just in, like, eighth or ninth grade, and he's talking to me about Jesus, and I thought he was crazy, as did the rest of my family. So, and he is kind of crazy sometimes, so kind of fit. And uh, so he started talking to me. He says, well, I mean, Bob, do you understand that you're a sinner? And I was like, well, because uh, nobody had ever said it that way. We didn't go to church. And when we did go to church, I never heard the word sin. Never heard the word sin. And uh, I was ah, I don't think, um, I don't know, maybe not. You know, it's like asking somebody something they don't know what the word is. So how do you, he goes, well, let me explain to you what sin is. And he talked a little bit about sin, about this falling short of God, of not, not obeying God. And he says, take, for instance, the Ten Commandments. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good on those. Yeah, I've been keeping track. I hadn't, but I thought I had. And uh, so he started going through the Ten Commandments, you know, love the Lord your God, have no idols. I got, I got no, look at my room, there's no idols in this room. And he said, well, let's talk about what idols are. So then he started talking about what idols are. He says, it's not just this physical thing. You know, so, and I was just like, oh, oh. He says, like, it's, like, it's like your motorcycle's your idol. I was like, you're not taking my motorcycle. What's, what does this mean? What does God want to do? And he, he talked about that. He, he talked, and I kept thinking in my mind, I kept thinking, get to murder. Get to murder. I'm, I'm safe on that one, right? And he talks about, you know, mom and dad, parents and all this stuff. And then he got to murder. And I was like, no, no murders. No murders for me. Yeah, I'm good. No sin there. He goes, well, let's talk about what murder really means. Because Jesus... Jesus broadened the idea of murder in the Sermon on the Mount. I was like, I knew you'd say that. I knew he was going to crush me on it. And what happened? I just realized I flunked everything. When you're in the presence, in terms of even that, just looking at the Ten Commandments, you're, you're in the presence of something that's infinite. Your finiteness is just so displayed. When I uh, first got saved and started going to this church, um, I, I met this guy. Um, we just we, we decided to play on a softball team together. And uh, I took one look at him, and I was like, this dude's going to be great. He's like 6'2", and he's just so buff. He, he was a professional football player. He played for about four or five years for the New Orleans Saints. Um, and um, so we hit it off, and we were friends, <clears throat> and we would, <clears throat> we would talk sometimes, and talk about that kind of stuff. And I just remember the, one of the first times when we were, we were playing softball, he hit a ball and he got down the first baseline faster than I'd ever seen any human being run in my life. Just, just being in the presence of someone who had been at this elite level. He was a running back and I'd asked him, you're so quick. He goes, that's what it is. You've got you've to be at full speed in, in two steps because that's when you hit all these big linemen. And he would just launch out of the batter's box. And I was just so amazed at that and in awe. 
and he was 6'2", you know, and, and he'd done a number of commercials because he was a really good-looking guy, and he was all buff. And you get around somebody like that, you know, and you start thinking, I need to work out more. <laughs> I, I should whiten my teeth, right? I should get more hair. You just, he just made you feel, and, and let me, he was the nicest, most personal, fun guy. You just loved to just hang out with him, you know, and yet you would just feel like I'm a little bit, feel, I don't want to hang out with you too much because you make me feel small, skinny, slow, bald, you know, all these things. And that, Holiness, and I'm linking this to holiness, which is really dumb. When you learn how to make sermons, this is a classic example of what not to do. But it's similar in a little bit. Just being around him made me feel less. Nothing he did. He didn't mean to make me feel. He was a great guy, but I just felt like, oh. And when we see that God is perfect, his wisdom is perfect, that is when actually what happens is we begin to realize we can trust him all the time at the worst times. And when we see that his love is perfect, because only perfect love can give you peace and assurance. Because if God's love has a limit, then we're never sure if we're approaching the limit or even if we've gone over it. God is perfect in his justice. He is perfect in his judgment. And there's a, com- there's a comfort in that, knowing that all wrongs will be righted. There is a professor at Yale who, who is uh, of, uh, I think he's Serbian, and uh, just in, that, in the war in Kosovo and Serbia and all that, he says the only hope for bringing peace is that people believe there's a God who judges because then they decide not to take judgment into their own hands. He said he's had the most success in being able to steer people away as he's worked in that area numerous times. He's had the most success in steering people away from continuing in that cycle of killing and, and, and terrorism by introducing them to a God who is just. A God who is just. Because if, we don't, if we're not sure about that, then otherwise there's this nagging insecurity that he will favor some over others. So as, as, as intimidating, even frightening as a holy God can be, and, and as small and as finite as it makes us feel, this is what we need. This is what we need. Perfect holiness, perfect wisdom, perfect love is what our hearts truly need. Let me maybe come at it a little different way. When we begin to fashion God in our own image, in a way we prefer to think of him, to make him more relatable, to make him more palatable, then he becomes like us. And what happens? We kind of believe he's going to favor my cause, like I do, because that's what I would do. He overcomes shortcomings because that's, he, he overlooks shortcomings because that's what I would do. He honors what I would honor in accordance with our timing and our wishes. But this is precisely the kind of God we cannot trust and find comfort in. Even if it's the kind of God I would prefer, there's no comfort there. There's no trust there. We need a God whose wisdom is more perfect than ours even when we don't understand it. We need a God whose justice is more perfect than ours, even when we don't understand it. 
So it's holiness. Jesus is saying, holy Father. His holiness can be, in a sense, terrifying. This is the fear that the Old Testament talks about in the New Testament. This is the awe that it is. It's that whole sense of being in the presence of something that is so other, so not me. And that can be so difficult for us. So we're praying to a God who is holy, but also Jesus links Father to it. We're praying to our Father. So let's think about that. The beginning of the book of John, we're told that those who become Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, have the privilege of being called children of God. God is their Father. At the very end of John, Jesus says, he's talking to Mary, he says, I'm going to my Father who is your Father also. He is your Father also. And here in John 17, multiple times, Jesus refers to the fatherhood of God. I was thinking about this the other day and doing some reading, and it hit me. In this prayer, Jesus prays for everything that a parent would want for their child. Now think about this. Follow along with me on this. First of all, protection. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so Scripture would be filled. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. What does he do? He prays for protection for his children, just like any loving parent would do. Next thing, he prays that they would be unified and loving, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying, the oneness that you and I have, Father, is for them too. We talked about this last week. Jesus died to pull us in, to the, in a sense, pull us into the Trinity, to be a part of that loving relationship, that beautiful dance of love going on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants us in. He says, I want them in. He's praying that we'll be unified and loving just as God is. A flourishing, joyful life. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He wants this for us. He wants this for his children, this flourishing, this joyful life. Just what he has, he wants for us. For character and spiritual growth, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This word sanctify is just briefly this, this ongoing uh, change within our lives where we become more and more like Jesus. We become, begin to have the characteristics of Jesus. I told you one time, I, I, I picked a lady up to give her a ride. I didn't know her. She just looked very lost. And she was. And uh, and it was a very difficult time. It was a difficult situation. She was a difficult person. Um, um, she was a little bit mixed up. So I'm driving all over creation trying to find where she lives. Finally, and I'm talking to her and, and, and trying to be loving to her and the whole time going, I'm going to be late for dinner. I'm going to do this, this, this. This is so inconvenient. Uh-huh. Me, me, me. And um, so then finally I, I figured out where she was and I, I took her downtown and dropped her off. And um, she got out of the door and she just looked at me and she said, thank you, Jesus, and she walked away. And I was like, God, I wasn't Jesus. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was Jonah. I don't want to go there. 
We pray for our kids. You pray for your kids that they'll have character, they'll have spiritual growth. Purpose and a mission in life. As I have sent them into the world, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He says, I, I want them to have this purpose, this mission in life. I want them to live for greater, something greater than themselves, and this is it. Just what I did, I want them to do it. Closeness with Jesus and the Father. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He wants us to have this closeness just like they have. He says, I gave them the glory. That, that's a, such a cool thought when you think Paul talks about us and one time he uses a word that, he uses a word that means a glory grabber. Somebody who's constantly grabbing for glory and he's saying that's what we are. We're always wanting glory, wanting glory, wanting glory. And we try to find it in so many different ways. And when we get a little taste of it, it ends up not being quite what we'd hoped for or not lasting. And Jesus says, I got the glory you need. I got it and I wanna give it to you. I want you and it will last. It will last. And so, He's, he's praying for them. I mean, it's just, it, he's praying for their protection. He's praying that they'll be unified and loving. He's praying that they'll have this flourishing life. He's praying that they'll have purpose. They'll have a mission in life. He's praying that they'll be close with him and with the Father, the special closeness that they, they have. These are all the things that any parent would want for their child. And this is Jesus' prayer for us. And it shows us the access we have with the Father, because now we're in. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're into the dance, you're into the circle, you're into the love, and you have access to the Father just like Jesus had access to the Father. You know, a polite adult, sometimes with a, with a parent or some, some other person, a polite adult may say, oh, this person, maybe I, I shouldn't bother them. Maybe the door is closed. There may be an important reason for that door to be closed. I shouldn't bother them. But you know, it's funny when you see a kids just barge in. Kids just, they understand their parents, I mean, they believe it, their parents are accessible at all times. Children in, instinctively access their parents. Um, I want to show you a video that shows that. Um, this is from the BBC a number of years ago, and it is a guy uh, remotely in an interview on the BBC uh, TV network. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited. The BBC is the only network in the world that broadcasts to every nation in the world. That was seen in every nation in the world. Can you imagine? I just, I just, I'm looking at that 
And right towards the end, I, I apologize. And you can just see him thinking, I should have locked the door. Why didn't I lock the door? Right? And I just, I, I love that. But we have a heavenly father who never locks the door. He never locks the door. He's always accessible. He never minds being interrupted. So during Jesus' time of prayer, he calls him holy, but he also calls him father. And it's heartfelt. It's honest. It's honest like the upcoming prayer in the garden. It's not timid. It's not rehearsed. It's not hesitant. He just speaks it. You know, if you make a request to someone who's in authority, maybe in authority over you, maybe, maybe a judge or a boss or any number of different things, there's always a chance your request will be overlooked or just dismissed out of hand. But a loving parent, even if the answer is not yes, a loving parent still listens. The child knows they'll be listened to, even if it's not given the way they want it. And oftentimes a child will know, I mean, a parent will know what a child is asking um, or talking about, even when others can't quite understand. There's how many times for you that have had small children that you interpreted for other adults who couldn't quite understand what your child was saying, but you knew what your child was saying. You understood. Why? Because you had that relationship with them. Now, some of you understand too much. Let me just say that. Because sometimes I've held a baby and it just goes, blah, 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 blah. And, I go, and they go, they called you Bob Mosley. No, 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 he didn't. No, he didn't. You understand too much. No, but a parent can understand what a child is asking. Oftentimes, sometimes even better than the child knows because they're the parents. And, you know, sometimes I meet people and I, I talk to people in a lot of different situations. And one very common thing I've heard from people sometimes that say I'm not a believer, you know, I don't, is they say, you know, um, you know, I prayed God take this away, or I prayed God give me this, or I prayed God heal this person. God didn't answer my prayer, at least like I wanted it. And so very commonly they'll say, so what's the point of praying or trusting or even believing? But see, here's the problem with that. Because the problem with that is you're assuming it's a quid pro quo relationship. Like, I've done these for you, God, so now you owe me answer this prayer. And let me tell you something, a quid pro quo relationship is the worst kind of relationship. A quid pro quo relationship can be death to a marriage. Because now suddenly there's scorekeeping. Now suddenly somebody's keeping tabs and deciding who's in debt to who. That is not the kind of relationship you want. There's no love in it. But think of, think of a loving parent with their child. Does the mom, or the dad, does the mom do whatever the child wants, whenever the child wants, whatever they want, whenever they want? No, because a parent knows better. A parent knows better what's best for that child. To give a child everything they want, whenever they want, is the perfect way to ruin them. You will create a tyrant that cannot ever be pleased. So this is our loving Heavenly Father. He knows what's best. And we can't know what's best. He sees the whole picture, and we can't see the whole picture. I mean, think about it. When God makes decisions concerning th things you pray about, he looks far off into the future to look at all the ramifications. 
of that prayer. He doesn't just think right here, right now. And so sometimes he says no, or he says wait. And this is how our loving Heavenly Father operates. He knows us like a parent. He understands us. We can go to him even when we can't articulate exactly what the problem is. We can go to him even when our requests may be unreasonable. And we know we will be heard by a loving Heavenly Father. So we're praying to a God who is holy. We're praying to our Father. How can we pray like Jesus? He says in verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you and have loved them even as you have loved me, right? So he's praying that they'll have the same relationship. We will have the same relationship that is the relationship between Jesus and and his Father so that we can pray just like he does. And he says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You notice in this, and if you ever, I mean, I would encourage you even this week sometime, just read John 17, thinking of it more, just looking at it, just, just in, the, in praying term, all over and over and over, in me, in you, in me, they're in us. He's talking about this inness, over and over and over. This joyful relationship, this intimacy. And he's not trying to hold on to it in a grasping way. Jesus is not a glory grasper. He's a glory sharer. This is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, A lot of theologians label it this. And uh, the Old Testament role of the priest was to intercede, to mediate with God on behalf of broken, sinful people who didn't have a voice. And Jesus is doing this. He's saying, Father, give them the voice I have. Father, give them the standing I have. Father, give them the love that I have. Give them the joy that I have. Give them the rights that I have. That's what we receive. Let them experience you just as I do. That's what God wants for us. So that we begin to see the core of our identity is we are the children of a holy, loving, heavenly Father. That's who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the child of a holy God, a loving God, a heavenly Father. You're his precious child. The job of the high priest was to go on behalf of the people and give them an access they didn't deserve. The reason why they call this Jesus' high priestly prayer is because he's about to do this himself. He didn't just pray for us to have access to God. He died for us to have access to God. He experiences alienation from the Father so that we can call upon God as our Father. He cries out to God and gets silence so that we can cry out to God and be heard. He was crucified outside of the city where the unholy things like trash was burned so that we could become his treasure, his daughters and his sons. He gave us access so that we could have access that we desperately want and need so that God never says to us, can't you see that I'm busy? Come on, that's ridiculous. Stop bothering me. Don't be silly. 
Stop acting like a kid. That is not important. I think back on the times I've said things like that to my kids and I cringe. It cuts me to the heart. Because I was not the father that they needed at that time. I know some of you have had really good relationships with your father. But some not so much. Some you've had an unkind father. Made you afraid a lot. Possibly even caused harm and abuse. And some feel that strange kind of missing pain of never having a relationship with a father. But this father is perfect. He is holy. He never fails. He is always wise. He is always for you. He loves for you to interrupt him. He loves to talk to you. He loves to listen to you. Jesus gave his life for this. And in in a sense, he's telling us here, so go to him. Talk to your holy father. Talk to your loving father. Spend time with him. Get to know him more and get to know your blessings and rights and privileges as his child more and more in your life. And what happens then is we get that into our lives and get that into our hearts. We experience more closeness, more oneness, more joy, more all the things you think Jesus prayed for, all the things that Jesus prayed for there, we experience those things in our lives in an ongoing manner. And the crazy thing is, the cool thing is, there's people here that can testify to that. I've seen that work in my life. I've seen that happen in my life. I can testify to that. I've seen it grow. I've seen change. So go to him, your heavenly father, longs to hear from you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we confess we, we don't often, we don't pray as much as we should. We don't spend time with you as much as we should. We don't listen to you as much as we should. Help us, Lord, to begin to cultivate those things in our lives, maybe just little by little, this process that takes a lifetime to complete. But Lord, in doing that, we experience that oneness, that closeness, that joy to be a part of what you share with your son and with the spirit and they share with you. Lord, help us to want that more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.